I heard they checking for me, no one checking on me, so I had to go run up a check. I got the message, homie, ain't no flexing on me, my attorney gon' call and collect. Blessings on blessings for me, my successes only made them envious, they got upset. I had to put all their egos in check. I want the money, the power, respect, and I heard you Welcome to the big picture, this time presented by your usual host, me, Paul Roshan. But we have a special guest today, somebody that I've done a lot of shows in the past with, but not here. And that's Matthew Basson, the one of the two of us that has the much better voice. Dylan is taking a little family vacation. So it's going to be me and Matt today. And we've done a lot of shows together. So I'm sure you'll notice the chemistry between us, really just the synergy of Matt filling. Listen, I have an awful voice and I hate it. And that's why I love doing shows with Matt because he picks me up in my weak spots and it's a lot of fun, but uh, we're going to get right into it. And we are starting Michigan basketball got some news this week. Of course, the NBA combine was a couple weeks ago and NCAA at early entrance, they had 10 days post combine to either withdraw from the draft or return to college or decide what we're going to stay in the draft. And Michigan had two big five-star freshmen this past season that didn't really live up to expectations as freshmen are wont to do. This is not an uncommon thing that freshmen come in, especially to a conference like the Big Ten, and are not quite ready for the rigors of the college schedule. And so both of them, Diabate probably even more so, had a pretty disappointing season, but both of them opted to stay in the NBA draft. So we're going to talk about what this means for them, what we think about it, and of course, what it means for Michigan going forward. But I want to talk about the decision a little bit. And one thing that you hear thrown out so much is that, oh, they're not ready for the NBA. And I, honest to God, when people say that to me, I don't want to talk to them anymore. If I see it on a message board, I want to leave or I want to have them punished, banned, stop talking to me. The NBA draft is not about being NBA ready. Okay, if, if players only went when they were NBA ready, the draft would be exceptionally small, right? And the draft would not be so difficult for these teams. The NBA draft, and really all drafts, but the NBA is the one that we're talking about right now, it is built on projections. Do are, Can you sell the fact that you can develop into at least an NBA role player or even a star. What is your ceiling? What do your projections look like? Now, in Diabate's case, this is going to be based on measurables, right? He's an elite athlete with elite size. So do teams think that that's a nice moldable piece of clay? In in Houston's instance, it's, he could be an elite shooter. He has really good size at the position he plays. So we're talking about developable traits. You look at Jordan Poole in the NBA Finals right now. What was the knock on him coming out of college? He wasn't close to NBA ready. His shot selection was horrible. He wasn't mature enough. He spent some time in the G League, and now teams are talking about, or it, talking heads are talking, could this guy get a max contract? Is $20 million a year the floor for his next contract? So when we talk about these decisions, what we are not going to do is talk about whether they're NBA ready, because it doesn't matter at all. But... That still doesn't mean that they made a good decision. Matt, I want to get you the guest of the show. I want you to open up and tell me, one, were you surprised by these decisions at all? Did you really expect both of them to opt to forgo their college eligibility? And whether you were or were not, what did you think of the moves themselves? So I'm older. So the college game was very different when I was in my teens and then twenties, where unless you were a lottery flat out, you are a top 10 pick you were, if your team didn't get to where you thought you should have been, 
you came back because you felt like you had unfinished business. For the most part, this is a blanket statement that I'm making for thousands of players, but it doesn't mean it's true for all of them. But for the most part, with the names that were going in the draft, unless they were lotteries, they came back because they didn't finish and accomplish what they came to accomplish. In Michigan's situation, you had a really up and down year. You Literally, you won, you lost, you won, you lost, you won, you lost. You couldn't like string together a bunch of wins until the NCAA tournament. And then you were one of the few Big Ten teams still standing at the Sweet 16. So I thought, based off of that, that everyone was going to come back. Maybe Hunter Dickinson would leave. Turns out he's the only one staying. But (laughs) I thought everyone who could come back was going to come back because it looked like you figured it out finally. And I wanted to see them come back and do this again. So when this decision was made... I wasn't stunned when I saw what Diabate did in the combine where his second scrimmage, he puts up a double. And so he impressed a lot of the NBA execs that were there and really helped his stock. And then when Houston, you start hearing the rumblings of this dude's been promised a somewhere in the twenties pick, which means he's not falling to the second round now. And the contract's going to be higher because he's still in the first round. Then I, I nod my head to that one, like, okay, if he's really been promised that and he believes that from everything he's hearing, then I guess it makes sense. As far as developing what part of their games they still need to, look, no one can shoot that when they're coming right out of college. It's very rare you got a guy who's NBA ready when it comes to shooting. So obviously they're both going to need you know time to work on their shooting. Are you going to get better coaching in the NBA versus – and if you are not in the NBA, are you going to get better coaching in the G League versus college? And that's where you have to put your – you have to do your pros and cons – to weigh that out for yourself. They both feel like no matter what, they're going to have a better situation going pro right now than staying in Michigan, which is great for them if it pans out. Not so great for Michigan, who have no one coming back from their starting five, except for Hunter now. And that's the promise. That's one thing that got thrown out a lot. And I can just about guarantee, I know it was the big thing when he said, I'm not going to do the combine. I'm declining my combine invite. And people are like, oh, he must have a promise that he's going to go early. Uh, I don't buy that. And people I've spoken to do not buy that and have not heard anything of the sort. People around him, people around the program. And the reason it doesn't make a lot of sense is it's so early in the process. And especially when you're talking about teams that pick in the 20s, we're talking late first round because he's not a project. Caleb Houston's not a projected lottery pick, of course. So when we're talking about teams picking there Hmm. to make a promise to someone who they have not even had for we're we're talking pre-team workouts, no combine, no team workouts, no private workouts, nothing like that. And to say, you know what? I don't care who's on the board. We're going to take you. That just doesn't really happen that much. And this is something that fans talk about a lot. It gets tossed around in the media a little bit, but it's something that's very rare, especially especially for a player like Houston. Yeah, it would be easy for a team picking in the 20s to tell uh, Paolo Bonchero, hey, if you're there at 22, we're going to take you. I promise we're going to take you. Because well, he's not going to be there, of course. He's going in the top three right. of the NBA draft. It's not right. It's not going to happen. You're not telling a guy, especially this early in the process, like Caleb Houston, that you're going to pick him there. Skipping the combine was a calculated and good decision by his handlers because Caleb Houston does not have good athleticism. He's not going to have a good vert. He's not going to be fast. He's not going to kill the drills. He is coming in and hoping to be an elite shooter at the next level. That's his calling card. He wants to be a Clay Thompson. That's what he is going to the NBA to try to emulate is Clay Thompson. The combine is not going to help his stock. It can only hurt his stock. Where he can help himself is go do the individual drills, the team workouts, show them your shooting stuff, show off your strengths, showcase your strengths. 
people have said that in, in really for both players, clearly, of course, now in hindsight, but even before the season started, both of these players were coming here with the idea to play a year and then go pro. The only reason this ever was a question is because both of them had, as I said at the beginning of the show, somewhat disappointing seasons as far as their expectations, but they're freshmen Mm -hmm. and they're young, okay? So they're not always going to take right away. It's why veteran teams win in the NCAA tournament more than freshman lad and star teams because you need to develop to play at this level. So you knew there were going to be hiccups. And I know uh, people I had spoken to before the season, we're talking preseason, they said that the coaching staff, when they got these players in, before before we start actually playing games, when they're going through practices, they didn't view anybody on the team as a one-and-done player. They didn't think anybody in this class was going to be NBA-ready after a season. Talent-wise, game-ready, that didn't mean that they weren't going to go pro. And as we've seen lately, the trend is go pro as soon as you're able to. And there's many reasons you would do this. People especially fans, they always look at this from just a playing basketball perspective. But you have to understand, and especially in the case of these are not kids that grew up in America. Musa Diabate, he came from overseas. Caleb Houston, he came from Canada. So they didn't, they're not ingrained here. It's in technically America. It's, it's Northern America. Yeah, he did. He played at, um, it, it's, it's, it is, it is North America. Did Caleb Houston play at Monverde Mon- or right? IMG? You play for IMG or? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. Uh, no, I think it was not. It might have been Montverde. It was one of the powerhouse basketball programs in the country. And, right. But he was from Canada, and he actually had to kind of reclassify, although he was of age of a normal high school. He's from Ontario. Like America senior. It's basically Detroit. It's fa- <laughs> uh, but they can't make NIL money because they came here. They're from overseas. They're on a visa. The NIL thing's hard. It's, it's more difficult. We've talked about this on previous shows. They are not necessarily coming here for the education, of course. Their plan is to be one and done. And the rigors of college the fans do not think about is you don't get to just play basketball 24-7, especially at a school like Michigan. And I know we make a lot of jokes about what these athletes do, especially depending on where they go to school, if they go to North Carolina or if they go to Ohio State for football or if they go to Alabama. But in Michigan, they still have to go to class. They still have to remain academically eligible. There are limits to how much practice time that they can have, how much time they can spend in the gym with coaching instruction. There are time constraints. Even if you say, okay, I'm just going to shoot every day for a couple hours by myself, which is a lot. You have to find that time. And when you have a full course load, because you have to take enough classes to maintain academic eligibility at a school like Michigan, where it is difficult, even if you're taking fluff classes or an easier set of classes, it's still, you need a lot of time on task and then you have your regular basketball duties so trying to find time to work on your game and grow while doing studies it's not for everybody and a lot of these kids are just going to go I don't want to do that and I don't blame them listen I didn't want to work and go to college I quit college earlier than my original intention because I worked a full-time job and I didn't feel like doing both it was too much I wanted to get married I wanted to do different things with my life I didn't want classes weighing down my everyday life. So I can totally understand how a kid who already planned to be one and done, even though the season didn't go according to plan, he's, you know what? I'm ready to take the next level. Now, something you mentioned is coaching. Could they get better coaching in the G League than Michigan? That is highly doubtful. Jawan, I I would say, has an exceptional coaching staff. He's a very good coach himself. We've seen what he's been able to do with players in the short time he's been here. Look at the, you take a guy like Hunter Dickinson, who was able at the hardest position 
especially to come in at the in the Big Ten, where we are known for our centers, to come in and have such a good freshman season the way he did, and then the improvements he made in the offseason to his sophomore year. Jawan, his he can develop players in this coaching staff of extremely experienced coaching staff. Saudi Washington, Phil Martelli, these are very good coaches. Are you going to get that same quality in the G League? Probably not. But at the same time, these kids know what they need to work on. And it's not just about coaching. It's about time on task and developing skills. Talk about Musa Diabate. I want to hear your opinion on him because my opinion, basketball-wise, is harsh. Look, he has a lot of the good things that can't be taught. Like you said, he's long. He's athletic. He's got a 7-2 wingspan on a 6-10 body. Uh, he's got a really good motor, which is a great thing to have. You got a guy that goes hard and doesn't stop. So that's great. And obviously, what he did in the combine showed that. Is he the best shooter? No, absolutely not. He doesn't not. have that's a shot. true for most freshmen. He does have a bit of a... He, he worked on that baby hook a little bit in the post. That wasn't bad near the end of the year. He doesn't have an outside shot. That's very true. And his hands aren't the best. On a lot of the, the passes that were coming into him, he wasn't grabbing it securely. Again, these are things you can work on. Things that are teachable. The intangibles that can't be taught that he's shown... There leaves a lot of upside, and we're talking about an 18, 19-year-old kid who's only going to grow more into his body, into his confidence, and into his basketball game. And so for, for all the reasons that you said, that you're living in a world now with NIL where these guys can make money, but Diabate can't because he's not an American citizen. So there's reason for him when, he's, when he shows out at the combine and he does well, and I think really for him more than – obviously Houston didn't go to the combine, but – I think the combine sold it for him. If he didn't do well at the combine, I think there's a really big chance that Diabate comes back to Michigan for a second year. He did pretty well in the combine. He showed out pretty well. He double-doubled in his second scrimmage. The final scrimmage, the last thing they see from him is him putting up 10 points and 11 rebounds in so many minutes. So there's enough there that they see what he could become. Will he become it? We have no idea. But I understand the decision for him, and I think – Three, four years down the line, we're gonna we're gonna see it pan out for him. I don't think this is not gonna be a right away thing where we hear a bunch of them next season. Diabate was definitely for me the more surprising of the two, and I would co classify this as a poor decision. I'm not gonna crucify anybody that goes pro early. I just think it's going to be very difficult for him to develop and actually crack an NBA rotation. So the problem with Diabate is very simple. He has next to no basketball skills. He is a very large very elite athlete. He's extremely tall. He's close to seven feet. He can leap out of the building. He's pretty quick. Because of that, he has good defensive tools, which of course is a, a good way to see the floor. You got to be able to hang on the defensive end. But at the same time, he is a black hole on offense. Every time, and we're talking about against college kids, every time he touched the ball, I, I'm just waiting for something bad to happen, whether it's a turnover a mishandled pass, a shot that he's just not capable of making that he's taking. Even at the rim, someone that you'd think with, that has the size and athleticism that he has, that he would just be able to punish people at the rim. And listen, he's got to grow into his body a little bit. He's, of course, he's, he's very young. He's very tall. He's got that extremely, that, that Chet Holmgren body. He's got to grow into it, but he doesn't have any of the skills Chet Holmgren has. And that's the problem. He lacks fundamental basketball skills across the board. Whether it's shooting, whether it's touch around the rim, whether it's basketball IQ, whether it's 
working within the offense and, and getting open looks and getting there. As you mentioned, his hands are not the best. I honest to God, if you for such a large guy with big hands, you'd think you'd be able to hold on to the ball a little better, but every time an entry pass was an adventure with him. And of course you, there's no shooting at all, which listen, a lot of bigs and it, like you said, especially coming out of college, young kids, they don't have the shooting yet. But what concerns me is I have not seen signs of it yet. Like, I don't see a good stroke. So Max Christie from MSU went pro kind of surprisingly. He decided to stay in the draft, and he didn't shoot that well at MSU. But what I can say with him is I like his mechanics. I like the way he shoots the ball. I like the way that it, his, he has a nice stroke, a, 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 something that I think down the line he could be a very good shooter. I don't see that with Diabate. You you hope to God that he can be a shooter that just occasionally can make someone defend him past six feet from the rim, but I haven't seen it yet. So we talk about really, to me, all he has is his athleticism and size, which, don't get me wrong, are huge pluses when you're projecting, but he has got to start developing basketball skills. And I thought, especially as pretty much a big it would have done him a lot of good to come back to Michigan and work under Juwan. Now, Hunter's presence could be a little bit of a problem there because he's not going to get to play the five much for Michigan with Hunter here. Yes, when Hunter comes off the floor, maybe he can stay in or rotate and play the five, but he's mostly a four here, and he's not a stretch four because he can't shoot at all. So you really have two guys that are trying to thrive in the paint together. If you remember a handful of years ago that the Detroit Pistons brought in Josh Smith, and we had a few bigs around that were trying to thrive in the paint, and it didn't go very well. It, it was not great, right? Wait, hang on. When did Josh Smith ever try to hang in the paint? That man was standing at the three-point line okay. thinking he was Rasheed Wallace, and he wasn't. <laughs> he should have been thriving in the paint. That was what he was good at. He should have been thriving in the but, paint. But listen, we had the we had the moose, okay? And, and we had, do we have Andre Drummond, the mm-hmm. Moose, and and Josh Smith, right? Yeah. It's, you can't oh, do yeah. it. It doesn't yes. work. Your, your front court is just too clogged. It's too room. clogged. You can't do it. So there's between Greg Monroe, Andre Drummond, and now you've got Josh Smith, whose best work came in the paint, whether he wanted it to or not. It just couldn't work out. Diabate mm-hmm. probably looks at that a little bit and says, you know, I'm not going to get to showcase. I, I need to be a five because he can't shoot. He doesn't have those skills, so he needs to be a five. But I don't. Even as a five in the NBA, he's he's small right now. He's got to develop. Defending fives is going to be hard for him because of his build. He has a lot of question marks. Where Caleb Houston, and, and this is... So he's Rudy Gobert, but a little bit smaller. Oh, no, no, no. Rudy Gobert has a lot of basketball skill. He doesn't have the athleticism. He has basketball skill. And, and he's he a great shoot. defender. He can't shoot. He can't shoot. He can shoot free throws. The stroke is there a little bit because he can shoot free throws like nobody's business. So he can shoot a little bit. Mm. But uh, let's get into what we expect from these kids. So let's start. We've spent a lot of time on Diabate. So let's start with him because we've kind of talked about why this may have not been the best decision for him. But you said you could see in three, four years, I believe was what you said, that this panning out for him. So tell me that path. Okay, so that path is me expecting him to grow. And to learn his look, there's one common problem with everything we have talked about with Diabate. It's his hands. These are causing a problem. He doesn't know how to use them yet. He's 18, 19 years old. In the three hands. years of being in the G League, maybe getting 10 day contracts, you know, whatever, going back and forth, where he's going to learn how to use his hands. I'd put him on dribbling drills immediately just to get him to have some confidence with his hands. Is he going to dribble much? Absolutely not. He is not a ball handler, but. 
if you can get this guy some confidence with dribbling first and then catching passes and then working on a stroke where at least he's gaining some confidence in his hands because the athleticism is going to stay there bearing any injuries and God willing that won't happen. But that athleticism is going to translate for the most part for him to being at least good enough defensively because of the motor that comes with the athleticism that he has and that he does try hard. So he can keep himself relevant between G league and 10 day contracts for his defense. And the offense can be taught enough to where he could be a backup center in the NBA, making a nice living, you know, eight, you know, five year contract at, you know, four, four to $5 million a year, $25 million. You can live off that, you know? So like there's, I'm not, I don't know if he can, you know, I'm not saying that's his ceiling. That's just what I'm expecting, you know, three years, four years down the line where he's gotten some work and gotten some confidence in his hands. That's my expectation of having that time to work with the G league and maybe short contracts in the NBA to get him to a point where in four or five years from now, maybe he does become one of those guys. If you don't have anybody in mind, it's fine. But do you have a player comp for him? Um, no, because they because they're good. Like, trying to think of. Well, no, like I was thinking, like, but like they're they're better defensively than him. Like I'm trying to think of like you know some guys that were long and lengthy, like a Hashim Tabit, but he was taller and longer. Like that's not going to work. And he has, his hands were a little bit better, but he still wasn't great with his hands. I'm trying to think of a center that has that build that wasn't great with his hands that, you know, worked his way see, into the see, league. See, to me, Musa is a very poor man's Jaron Jackson Jr. He's got a very similar body type in college. See, I did think about JJ, yeah, but, but, but definitely Jaren a poor ja- yeah. JJJ, Triple J, he has, he had a lot more basketball skills. And he struggled. His first year in college, he did, but it didn't stop him from being the fourth overall pick because of his skills, but he can shoot the ball a lot better than Musa can. He absolutely can. If he could do it consistently, he'd be a star in the NBA, but he's not. He struggled because he's very inconsistent. He's a little over the place, but to me, like his worst is almost like Musa's ceiling, unless he develops a shot out of nowhere. And that's like, that's if everything goes right. Like you're hoping to be the worst of, of triple J and that's the problem to me. And that's that's why I didn't like this decision, right? And I could see him. He'll probably go in the second round because of his size and athleticism. But it would not be a shock if he went undrafted. It would be more surprising if he went in the first round than if he went undrafted. And that, that's where we can... I don't think he's going in the first no, round. No, that's what I'm saying. It, it's, it, it's not going to happen at all. It's absolutely yeah. not going to happen. That's what I'm kind of getting at. And that's why I just... I don't love this decision for him because... Do more. And listen, we talked about the NIL stuff and he can't, it's harder for him to capitalize in on it. He came from overseas. He's on a student visa. But as we've seen recently with Kentucky, the number one player in basketball, not from America on a student visa, they made it work. Like they've jumped through the hoops and he is going to be able to collect NIL money. And you just have the national player of the year return to college when he maybe could have been a lottery pick, maybe, mm-hmm. right? And in him returning, that opens the door, and you think, well, maybe Musa, and he's young still, maybe he would have been better off developing skills, become a star in college, work on being able to capitalize on NIL, go through that process, maybe make that money, and showcase yourself to set yourself up for a better run in the NBA. Again, this one, it's not... I didn't like this decision. The one that I really wish returned 
And and I, again, I, I don't want to poo-poo Musa Diabate, and I hope that he has an awesome NBA career. I just think he has an uphill battle. But the one I was more concerned about losing, because let's be honest, Musa didn't give us a lot outside of in spurts defense last season. I wanted Caleb Houston to return because we need shooting bad, and I think he can be an absolutely elite shooter. And because of that, his decision to go pro makes a lot more sense because he has a very clear projectable role for NBA teams. He is the kind of player that can go at the end of the first round it, from the 20s to, to 30, of course, at the end of the first round or sometime in the second. Like he's going to get drafted. There's no doubt about that. Caleb Houston's not going undrafted and he has a shot to go at the end of the first round. Why? Because he is a really solid three-point shooter, and he struggled at times last year, as almost all college freshmen are going to. But if you look at his mechanics, his strokes, his release, they are elite. He was a shooter in high school. He was a shooter on the AAU circuit, and he was a shooter in Michigan. Now, you look at the splits, the home and road splits. On the road, I don't know if you have it in front of you. On the road, he shot like 20-some percent. And then at home at Chrysler, he shot well over 40% from three. Those are big disparities. Is it comfort? Is it is it pressure? Is it unfamiliar sight lines? What what it goes into that? I, I look at the forty some percent number, and you look at how many Michigan played what twenty five games at home last year, somewhere around there. That's a large sample size, and he improved from beginning to end of the season. He got better and better as the season went on. He's somebody that you can you can immediately in the NBA you can say this guy is going to be a three and D guy eventually. Now. There are knocks on him. He doesn't have elite athleticism. He doesn't jump out of the building, but he can put the ball in the deck a little bit. He has some basketball skills, things that Musa Diabate lacks. And shooting, especially in the modern NBA, is so coveted, it's going to get him drafted where Musa does not have those same problems. And I mentioned Clay Thompson earlier, and I, I am higher on Clay Thompson than pretty much everybody in the universe. I honestly think he's the most underrated two guard of all time. I pre-injury. He, he's not the same player that he was before the 18 injuries that caused him to miss multiple years of NBA basketball. But pre-injury, you're talking about an elite wing defender. Elite. Can, can guard one through three at an elite level, better than most players. But also, if he didn't play with Steph Curry and wasn't so overshadowed by the greatest shooter ever, he would be called one of the greatest shooters ever because he is. Klay Thompson's shooting is Omega elite. Now, he doesn't put the ball on the deck. He doesn't take dribbles, right? He, do, he doesn't. It's not his thing. He doesn't get to the rack a lot, although he has a little bit. He still dunks sometimes, right? He gets a layup every once in a while. Just, it's rare. Mm -hmm. But he is an elite shooter that is an elite defender, really through effort, because Clay Thompson's never been an Omega elite athlete. He's, he's a good athlete, solid before the Achilles injury, which we've talked about on the show many times, how debilitating that can be. But that's what Caleb Houston is trying to become. He's trying to become the next Clay Thompson. He's not going to be Clay Thompson. So so few people can be Clay Thompson. But a team is drafting him hope, as a poor man's Clay Thompson, hoping you can develop into half the player Clay Thompson is. And that's a very projectable role. And because of that, you feel like, okay, we have something to work with. It, it, it picked 25 when you're sitting there and you're like, who could be the biggest star? Who could make be the biggest difference maker on our team? tail end of the first we're not this isn't a lottery pick we're talking about these are the kind of guys you look at if you can get a 40 percent three-point shooter at the tail end of the first round that's a massive win and that's what you hope he is in a couple years mm -hmm. no i mean absolutely and, and 
whether it's true or not, you know, the things that I heard about him not going to the combine and everything you said makes a ton of sense when he's not athletic, he doesn't have those things to show off. The only thing he really can show off is how good of a shooter he is. And if he's not having a good shooting day, all you're doing is hurting yourself. So I understand everything you said, but if it is true that he has talked to NBA teams and he's heard enough to say that I'm going to be taken somewhere in the twenties, it sent me on a mission to see who would want his services or who needs his services right now. So I have picks 20 through 30 in front of me. San Antonio is on here a couple of times. They got Kelvin Johnson, same build, a small forward, 17 points per game. They're pretty happy with him. Devin Vassell, same build, 12 points per game. That can be improved upon. Dougie McBuckets, a little bit of a thicker version, but a same kind of idea, but only 11 points per game. So there's a spot there that's kind of needed for San Antonio, who's trying to build back from where they were. I look at someone like Denver. They got Aaron Gordon. I think they're pretty set there as well, followed up with Will Barton. And then Memphis, you're looking at Zaire Williams, Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks. They look like they're kind of set. At 23, you got Philadelphia. Now you have Tobias Harris, and he's really good at 17 points per game. Who's his backup? Nobody. Danny Green, who's I can't believe is still in the NBA. So Philadelphia is a prime spot to take someone like a Caleb Houston. Milwaukee, you have Chris Middleton. Who else at that small forward wing position do you really have? They don't. So Milwaukee, which would be amazing for Houston because he'd be right in the thick of things for maybe winning an NBA championship as a rookie. And then after San Antonio again at 25, you've got Dallas. We just saw all of Dallas's issues on display here in the Western Conference Finals. They have Dorian Finney-Smith, streaky shooter, good at home, not so much on the road, and they got Reggie Bullock. So there might be a spot there for him to come in and show his offense as well. And then Miami, yeah, you got Jimmy Butler. Max Strews kind of came in late. I don't know if that's enough to keep him. Caleb Martin, nine points per game. Not really someone that they're thriving on as well. And at the very, very end of the first round, you've got Oklahoma City with the trade from Phoenix. So Oklahoma City with their third pick in the first round. Look, Oklahoma City needs everybody, all right? Their team is just terrible. So there are some, there are plenty of opportunities for the rumor to be true of him being told he's going to be taken in the, in the 20s because there are four or five legitimate teams that have the needs of his services, even though he's not ready for that spot yet, but his ability to get there as far as a three and D guy. And he's shown enough as a shooter that there should be some real interest between the teams. That In I just Oklahoma said. city is one that's been brought up a lot. He's been mocked there. The Spurs I've seen him mocked to the Spurs. I mean, there, there are mocks that have him going in the first round, which would not be a big surprise. What is a little bit of a surprise is a few weeks ago, Michigan looked like they may be returning a title contending team. There were a lot of thoughts out there that both Musa and Houston could return. And then we were, listen, people thought we were going to get Terrence Shannon Jr. as a transfer. And obviously that debacle happened that we've talked about on the show. And a a lot of things have kind of fallen apart. And now you you didn't get Terrence Shannon. He had to go to Illinois because of credit issues because he kind of got dinked around in by his by his coach in his program really in Houston and then you lost both you lost Houston you lost Musa Diabate you don't return much shooting at all as you alluded to we lose basically the whole starting five outside of Hunter they're just not returning a lot of starting players you you lost uh Frankie Collins to the portal who you thought might be your starting point guard next year but really and, and listen I don't want to talk bad on anybody but it, it's out there uh, genuinely being basically afraid of competition that he did not want to have to compete for the starting point guard role. And we bought, we brought in a combo guard from the Ivy league and he didn't like that. And that's like, come on, man, really? But so he ends up bolting. And now you look at a Michigan team that has some experience, 
that returns one of the best players in college basketball. Hunter Dickinson's awesome. Coming into his third season, you have mm-hmm. huge expectations for him. You expect him to be talked about for player of the year, not win player of the year, but be in that conversation, be in like a top 10 player in the whole in all of college basketball. That's your expectations for him, very high. You have plenty of talent behind him. You had a really good recruiting class last year, and the only people you lost were the ones that we just talked about for a half hour. And then you have a good recruiting class coming in. You expect... Guys to take steps, the, the Kobe Bufkins of the world. Like I said, we, we got a transfer from the Ivy League, a nice little combo guard, a decent three-point shooter. That's something Michigan lacks a ton, though, is shooting. And to really take advantage of a player like Hunter Dickinson, you want shooting. Who's going to play point guard for you next year now? Is it your new transfer? Is Doug McDaniel ready as a true freshman? Probably not. Like You're kind of thin there. But at the same time, Michigan's going to pursue other players. We have plenty of open roster spots. Jed Howard, is he going to come in? Coach his son. He very highly touted. Borderline five-star kid. Very good shooter. Can put the ball in the deck a little bit. Really is a small forward, but can play some point if you need it. How much impact are you going to get out of your freshmen, your sophomores? Or are they going to develop from last year? Guys that have seemingly been here for a while. T. Willie, right? Like Terrence Williams, a fan favorite, an energy guy off the bench. Well, now he's probably going to start where Musa was starting. And what's he going to give you? What's his development going to look like? This is going to be his third season now. So a lot of question marks for Michigan outside of Hunter Dickinson. A lot of question marks about what this starting lineup is going to be. What do you think really... One, how obviously this affects their plans as far as they don't know their starting lineup, which a month ago you could have penciled in a full starting lineup, that now you have one player penciled in from that starting lineup. So obviously that's a lot different, and they're taking a talent and depth hit. But this, you expect, to, I think, to still be a tourney team, but where at? Where is this team going to be able to improve on what they did last year? Are they trying to tread water? You don't want to waste having a talent like Hunter Dickinson for three seasons. Where do you see this team at with these departures? Well, I mean, when we say that all you have coming back now is Hunter Dickinson, Michigan knew that they were losing two of their guys already. You knew Devontae Jones wasn't coming back. You knew Eli Brooks wasn't coming back. They were done, and Michigan knew that. So there was two spots they've already been mentally preparing and looking into how are they going to fill. So it's not like Michigan just says, oh, my God, now we got to fill four spots, and we don't know what we're doing. No, no. You had two already that you figured out. Now you got two more, and you have scholarships to use to try to recruit someone in the transfer transfer portal. And it's like you said, you definitely need shooting. It hurt you last year. You weren't able to take advantage of Hunter Dickinson in the way that you'd like to because you couldn't just pass it down to him, let him get close, and then kick it out to someone for a three because there was a good chance that three wasn't going in, and the defenses knew that and was able to play defense, you know, defensively accordingly on Hunter Dickinson. So now you got to go look and try to find shooters. Well, look, for a whole bunch of years in the state of Michigan, there was a high schooler that was supposed to be a phenomenal athlete and a good shooter to go with it. Well, over the last two years, Imani Bates has absolutely destroyed whatever those stories were all about. But there might be something there and it might be a spot for him to come to Michigan with all the drama that's already been created with Imani Bates and how he has really destroyed his, whether through him or his people, whatever, have just kind of destroyed his name. Is he willing to swallow the ego 
and come to a great university with a great basketball program, learn from a two-time NBA world champion head coach, and take a lesser role and help a team. It would say a lot for him if he would be willing to say yes to that. That is a certain you know kind of person that you would need. You also got to look, though, at is he going to be able to handle the classes? This is, again, this is Michigan. This isn't like going to a whole lot of other schools out there where you have to really pretend to play a student athlete. At Michigan, they really focus on the student part of student athlete. So maybe someone like a Joey Baker, who, right? Yeah, Joey Baker, who spent his years at Duke, another prestigious university. So you know that at least he has the student part down, come over as a graduate transfer, give him more minutes because he played very few minutes at Duke. He was able to score in those minutes he was in, but he didn't get the playing time. Maybe that's a good fit for Michigan where you're going to get someone that at least is going to be taking care of the student part and not have to deal with eligibility issues of playing basketball for Michigan as opposed to wasting a transfer portal spot on someone like maybe Imani Bates, who might not take the student part seriously enough, and then you don't get to play with him anyway. I think it's fascinating that you mentioned the Imani Bates thing. I have it on absolute certain word that Michigan, this entire process, has had no interest in bringing in Imani Bates. They wanted nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting on several fronts. One, as we saw when Imani announced that he was transferring from Memphis in Penny Hardaway's cancer culture. And listen, I do not, I'm not a fan of Memphis. I'm not a fan of what they've built down there, how they've done it. And I think they're underperforming the talent they have is a very clear reason why in the ways that they've gotten that talent, hashtag NIL, but before NIL, honestly. Once he announced he was transferring, he's... All these schools, right? Like this is my top eight, my top 10, whatever it is, throws out every single blue blood there is. Well, as we come to find out, none of these schools were really interested in him. And uh, not long ago, I heard that, you know, he could end up at an Eastern, a school like Eastern Michigan, right? Like we're talking about Imani Bates that a couple of years ago was considered the next LeBron James, Okay. This is a kid that was mm-hmm. not just, listen, a few years ago, he was the number one recruit in the entire country, including all classes, the classes that were older than him, the classes that were younger than him. He was like a surefire superstar. He wasn't, people thought this kid's probably not even to go to college. He might go overseas. He might sit out. He might do the G League thing, whatever. He's probably not even going to go to college. If he goes to college, everyone's swooning over him. Every blue blood is recruiting him. He ends up committing to Michigan State and Tom Izzo's story program. Obviously, the decommitment followed, and he ended up at Memphis with Penny Hardaway, as we discussed. But this is a kid that was on top of the basketball world. The problem is the way that he's been handled, and I, it's hard. And Michigan State fans especially, they do not like Imani Bates. But I would like to just a little perspective here for a moment that Imani Bates is a kid. And I know that he's 18, 19, I think he's 18 now because he reclassified. He ended up going to college early when he should have been a senior mm-hmm. in high school uh, from Bates Prep Academy, which his family, of course, founded and threw together. He ended up reclassifying to come to college early. So all these struggles that he's had, everything he's had, not even an adult. Yeah, we're talking about he should still be a senior in high school. And this is a kid who for so many years now has been handled with a very clear goal by his family of get him to the NBA, make as much money as soon as possible. 
And that this has been, it has been transparent to anyone around them. This is the goal. This is what we're doing. And we are talking about handlers and a family and people around him that are so hyper-involved that these people are going to practices, college practices. They're complaining to the coaches, like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? I mean, can you imagine for a second, someone sitting at every practice with Tom Izzo, and then after practice, the parents are grumbling to Tom Izzo about what you did and did not do with my son. Can you even fathom that possibility? Because this is what was going on in Memphis. And so these are the level of people that we're dealing with. And when you are, Amani Bates was very famous, very young. Is a 14, 15-year-old kid. He was considered the best basketball like high school player in America. And he got that LeBron status, mm-hmm. right? Cover of Sports Illustrated, the next chosen one, all this stuff that comes with it. And you're still a kid, right? You still do what mom and dad tell you to do. You lean on the adults in your life for guidance. When the adults in your life are mis- making mistakes, are not doing things that are necessarily in your best interest, and are trying to have such an iron hold control of what goes on, instead of passing you off to coaches who this is their job, it's going to be difficult. It is going, and, and listen, he is st- his game has stagnated. His game has not grown much since he was 15 years old. It's absolutely stagnated. Awesome. And that's the biggest problem. He really was that good at 15. The problem is he's not much better now. And now he's playing against 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds, right? Guys that have a lot of experience, have a lot of want to. How do you handle that mentally? How do you grow your skills in that environment? How do you do that under the thumb of your handlers who are involved in every decision in your life? And then you throw in kind of a wrench in the situation. Amani Bates' dad and Jawan Howard are friends. I would call them friends. They are certainly very familiar with each other. They have had a relationship for a long time. If you want to get in how friendly they are, but I I would call them friends. And you look at Amani Bates' recruitment coming into college, Michigan didn't really recruit him. Yeah, we did the ceremonial stuff. We offered him a scholarship. He came to a couple games or whatever, but we never pursued him hard. And you never heard, and if you had spoke to anyone around the program, it was never, is Amani in play? What can we do to get Amani? Jawan Howard wasn't really interested in Amani Bates out of high school. So if you look at in your backyard, we're talking Ypsilanti is five minutes, five minutes east of Ann Arbor. Okay. It's in your backyard. You know the family. You've known the family for a long time. This kid is considered one of the greatest prospects of a generation. And you're not recruiting him that hard. There's reasons, right? And I think the reasons are clear. Joan Howard is cut from a similar cloth to Izzo in the regard of, you're not going to have some kid's family calling the shots. If you're coming to play for me, Joan Howard, if you're coming to play for me, Tom Izzo, this is what we're doing and how we're doing it. It's clear why they parted ways, why he didn't end up at Michigan State. It's very, and I respect Izzo for that. I absolutely do. But mm-hmm. is that going to change? Because now all of your NBA hopes and dreams you're not, if you would, he would be undrafted if he went to the NBA right now. He doesn't have it. No one's taking him right now. Right. He, he's so. No, his pro dream right now is Europe. So is there enough of a course correction where his family and the people around him say, okay, we got to do things a little differently. We have to swallow our pride. We have to take a step back and we have to do whatever it's going to take. Because if not, he's going to go play for a school like Eastern or a school like Oakland University. And 
Is that going to get him the best shot at the next level? Probably not. But I can tell you Jawan Howard is not going to take him as is. Jawan Howard is not going to deal with what Penny Hardaway dealt with at Memphis. And listen, Penny was done with it. To Penny's credit, who I don't like very much, he was over it. He didn't want nothing to do with it after a while. He was done. He's like, I'm not doing this anymore. You're not going to be able to come and sit at Michigan's practices, mom and dad. It's not going to happen. Imani Bates wants to go to Michigan. He wants to go to the the biggest school that is going to have him and can actually develop him. But those schools that were clamoring on his doors a year or two years ago, they're not there anymore. The Dukes of the world don't want you anymore. So you either have to change a lot, swallow your pride, and go accept, as you said, a lesser role at a school like Michigan, a role where you're not even guaranteed a starting job. You have to come in, put your head down, and grind. Become part of the team. Become part of the culture. Forget all the outside distractions and just work on your craft and get better and be part of a team. And if you're not willing to do that, you're going to end up at Eastern. And God bless you, and I hope the best for you. But those are your options right now. And I don't know which way this is going to go. Because right now, there have been no indications that Michigan has changed their stance. But there is a need. And with pending departures, with, listen, I I can tell you right now, Amani's family has had several discussions with Juwan himself. Like, the discussions have been had. Juwan didn't say, hey, come on, you can come play for me. Is that going to change? There have been rumblings. But I I have heard nothing concrete from anybody, especially regarding Michigan's interest. We know Amani would like to come to Michigan. He might not have said that himself, but we we know this to be true. But the other side, it takes two to tango. And is Juwan going to look at it and be like, you know what? I would like to help this kid. Can we work something out? We do have a need now. We have several open spots. We need shooting. Amani can shoot the ball. He shot 35% at Memphis last year on horrible shot selection and in not a great situation. So could it work out? It could. And I listen, at this point, I'm for it, right? Because one, we don't have a lot to lose anymore. We don't. And it would be funny. The storylines would be great. When he goes to East Lansing, he will be booed more than anybody's ever been booed in college basketball. Like I'd, It will be Christian Latner levels of hate, okay? I, I know few people... Few sports figures hated as much by Michigan State fans. And if he goes to Michigan to top it off and then comes East Lansing to play a game, oh my goodness. It's like him and Mike Hart. Probably like right here. Like we should bring them both in. Like y'all should, just, if he goes to Michigan, y'all should just bring Mike Hart as well for that road game at East Lansing, just to get it all over with in one shot. You have a Mountie out there. You got Mike Hart. They both wave in and just let all the booze rain down from the is zone. No, it, it would be an absolute blast and listen if michigan gets even a contributing bench player out of it that's a win for them that is a win for michigan because you need depth you need someone that can come in and shoot the rock a little bit but again is amani going to be willing to come in and take that role are his parents and his handlers going to be willing to step back and do what is necessary for him to go to a school coached by somebody like Jawan howard and that's at the end of the day that's it i find this whole thing fascinating I, at the beginning of the offseason, I wanted, I also wanted nothing to do with him because I'm looking at, listen, if we return all these guys and we bring another guy or two in, this is a contending team. Like, I'm not upsetting that balance. We don't need him. We don't have a need for him. I I don't want anything to do with him. Plus, he wasn't that good. It's not like his talent, his star is waning. Okay. This is, you're not bringing in necessarily an elite college player. He just might not be that good. We don't know yet. So now things have changed. We lost a bunch of guys. 
We didn't get some transfers we thought we were going to. We don't look like a team that's a Final Four contender yet. So now you can take a shot and maybe help a family friend and have great storylines to boot because I would certainly love to talk about it. We, if we get Amani, we'll talk about it a lot more on the show. But as of right now, there's been no indication that that's going to happen or is in the works. I will update you guys if I hear anything, but you'll probably hear it first because it's going to be all over the internet. I mean, listen, do you remember a few weeks ago, Imani was pictured, I think, at an AAU tournament with Juan Howard was there to watch. Imani came, he got mm-hmm. his picture with him, whatever. Actually, I think it was more than a few weeks ago. This blew up, like, all over the internet. Everyone's like, oh, Imani's going to Michigan, Imani's going to Michigan. This stuff goes crazy. Like, and people just, it's a fit that makes sense on the surface, but there's so much more to it. And do not jump to conclusions. I, I heard a lot of the same thing with the Louisville stuff. A couple of weeks ago, he was headed to Louisville. And I, I told you guys privately, I said, listen, this is not in the works. Like this isn't happening. I know that some people put that out there. There's some publications that they like to run stuff that, without a lot of facts. You know, they hear little snippets and they run stories and they'll get on Twitter and uh, they'll get on Spotify and they'll be like, ah, oh, this is what I heard. And not necessarily have a lot of substance to it. But uh, right now, Amani's future is completely open, and it is at least fascinating for us here in Michigan. It, it would be interesting to watch. I have a question for you personally, being a Michigan State fan, but being a level-headed one. You are probably, and maybe it's because you've been so many places and your fandom's a little split up because you went to a different college and you've been all over the country and you kind of have several... Well, I went to Arizona, so yes. it's not like I'm just... You grew up a Michigan State fan, but ended up in Arizona. You've lived in California. You've lived in Boston. You live in the South now. So you've gained a lot of perspective. And of course, you've worked in sports for a long time. So you are among the the people we hang out with, probably the most level-headed of all of us. What do you think about... I never got the hate from you for Amani. Disappointment, maybe, at the decisions he made, especially when he spurned Izzo. But how would you feel... If he goes to Michigan, whether he performs well or not, is this a kid that you're hoping things pan out? If, is this a kid whose failures you're laughing at? Like my co-host Dylan, who we will talk about when he comes back, he he will be laughing at Amani's failures if he comes to Michigan. Like he'll be cackling with glee. Right. But you, how do you view – are you just kind of laissez-faire? Like whatever. No, I, look, I, I – I do- I don't wish ill on the kid, literally, because that's what he is. He's a kid. And when you're a kid, you listen to whoever it is that you listen to. Usually it's your parents. Some people it's their grandparents, uncles, whatever. You listen to general, generally older family members whose care, you, you know, they're they're in charge of your care. So you, you follow the rules, you listen to them. If he's been led astray by them, look, I could say here at 40 years old, well, you know, you got to tell your parents to shut up and that you need to do better and I need to do better and blah, blah, blah. That's easy to say when you're an adult. When you're 18 years old, 17 years old, 16 years old, that's really not easy to say. That's not even something that comes to most people's minds at that age. So I don't wish evil things on him because it didn't work out at Michigan State. And then watching what happened in Memphis, it's how much would you really have given us anyway if that's the way you're playing. If this comes down to an attitude adjustment and a swallowing of the pride of looking at his parents and saying, what you've done, what we've done hasn't worked. And now we're where we are. So I got to do something differently. Again, easy to say as a 40-year-old. At 18, it's harder to say. But if he has the wherewithal to realize that and he wants to stay near home, looks like at least your options now, because you've already burned that bridge in East Lansing, are Eastern, Western, Central, Detroit Mercy, Oakland, or the University of Michigan. 
And if you can get that spot at the University of Michigan, then do everything you can to be the person they need you to be. Because now they need you. They didn't need you before. But with Diabate and Houston gone, now they need you. Now they're trying to replace four bodies in the starting lineup. And you do offer something that they can take advantage of if you are willing to put the hard work in to develop it better. And that includes swallowing your pride, understanding you don't have a starting role here. You are going to work for your, it's a prove it deal. Basically in the NFL with the wide receiver gets a one year, $10 million deal. Like DJ chart, you got a prove it deal. That's how you should look at this. If you're Imani Bates, I don't wish ill on him. Of course I will boo him when he comes to East Lansing wearing maize and blue. That's just because he went to Michigan. That's just the normal thing for me. I have nothing against him personally. And I would love to see him turn it around because the kid I saw three years ago in video was amazing to watch. And I would love to he see was an fun. version of that. He was fun, man. He and he, he did it without the major mm-hmm. athleticism. He's six eight, six nine. He doesn't even dunk that effortlessly. Like he can dunk, of course, but it is not effortless for him because he doesn't have otherworldly athleticism. But he had so much basketball skill at such a young age that it was fun to watch. In projecting going forward, you thought you you hope for progress. People said at 15, he was better than LeBron was at 15, which, listen, that might be a little bit of a stretch and recency bias, but it could have been true too because everyone peaks well, at different you know, ages. Many people say that because LeBron at 15, LeBron at 15 wasn't known. Yeah. LeBron didn't hit the scene until 16. So Imani, they got to Imani at 14. Yeah. They'd already think LeBron had a growth spurt at 15, 16, and now started filling into a more man's like body at a 16 year old. It was ridiculous. But before that, he wasn't as known because he wasn't the LeBron you're picturing now. And I, it was funny when you said DJ Chark too, because you said the one year prove it deal. And I, immediately, that was my first thought. I was like, DJ Chark, Imani Bates can be our DJ Chark. Uh, big mm-hmm. fan of both. Uh, no, I, I hope yeah. things work out for Imani wherever he goes because to me, it's kind of sad. Uh, it's really just a sad thing to me. And I hate to see wasted talent, especially for reasons that are as ridiculous as they are. And I would like to see him, whether he can be a difference maker or not, I would like to see him develop to his potential and see what he can do at the next level, even if he never makes it to the NBA. But that is all we have time for today. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. People, you can tell us, should should Matt be a permanent replacement of Dylan's? Did he do it? I'm just playing. I'm playing. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do the show without Dylan. No, 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 no. no. That that's Dylan's job. But no, I got my own shows. But no, Matt did a stand-up job today, and we will see you next week. I know. I do know the pulse of Michigan fan is pining for Imani Bates. Average Michigan fan wants Imani Bates bad, but please temper your expectations. Even if Michigan were interested and he were to come here, he may not be a player. He just may not be. So do not think that you're going to get this superstar because he is a complete unknown, and. That's the end of our show.